Well, as I've mentioned before, uh, when I've spoken, uh, I'm reading through the Bible, and as I'm doing that right now, I'm in the, uh, the section of the Bible where it's talking about Solomon. It's talking about his life, his reign uh, as king, and the works that he accomplished. And as I've you know, looked at the, uh, the kinds of things that, particularly in First and Second Kings, uh, and, and you can turn to First Kings if you'd like, um, uh, open it up here. Um, it's kind of a selective history. Uh, God hasn't put everything down that happened, but he puts down in there the things that, uh, if you will, they present the, the, the importance of God and the particularly things that God has done in our history and in the history of spiritual things and particularly the Israelites. Um, I think if, any, if nothing else, to me, the books have really established God's uh, providential uh, working in and through the lives of his people and particularly for his redemptive purposes. He has a purpose. <laughs> Situations occur and you think this can't be a part of what God's doing, but it turns out in the end it is. And, and it's that situation I want to take a look at tonight. Um, one of the things I've noticed in, in these chapters is they continue to demonstrate the necessity of us obeying God's word and us obeying the covenant that, that, that he's made with us, a covenant of peace, the covenant of love, and, and really the painful consequences if we don't obey those. And, it, you know, as I think about that, uh, particularly as you, as you look at the this man Solomon and, and uh, what, what he experienced and what he went through, his life is basically in those first 11 chapters of 1 Kings, um, and, and of course also back in Second Chronicles, and probably no, you know, and it mentions a number of times, no one, no king, no person in history has ever had as many... Um, as much wisdom, as much um, material things, as much of basically what life presents us here as he has. And so it's kind of interesting as we follow him through, we look at the, the wealth that he had, which is to me almost unmeasurable. I can't even fathom you know, the kind of uh, wealth he had. Of course, we know a lot about his wisdom. And as I've in detail looked at what he did to build the temple, what, you know, to me, what, what a, <laughs> you know, to me it's been difficult to build a barn, you know, and he's building a temple. And the temple, not only is he doing it, he's doing it according to God's plan that he gave his father David. And, and not only that, he's doing it in detail. And then to top things off, he builds his own house. So we want to take a look at some of those kind of things and... As we get through here, I want to kind of look at uh, some of the life lessons that, that we might see here. And I would say the first one I want to talk about is that God works through the lives of government leaders. Now, I know we pray a lot for government. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president and, and you know, the Senate and, and the House of Representatives. But I think sometimes, if I'm not careful, I just pray that and... Maybe I don't have enough expectation. I don't know about you, but you know, there's uh, God wants to work through His people, 
and through, through the people he puts in leadership. In Solomon's own words, and, and you know, he, he didn't write all of Proverbs, but a great part of what's in Proverbs were, were things that he either God gave him or he collected. And, and Proverbs 21.1, and I, I'm not going to turn, I'm going to read it to you, but if you want to, you might. He, he makes a, a tremendous statement. This is, best we know, this is somewhat late in his life, and it's also a statement that kind of gives us an idea of where he is and, and, and what, uh, what he's, <clears throat> excuse me, thinking at that time. So, Proverbs 21.1, he says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now, have you ever prayed that? I have, but think about that. God's able to take the heart of the king, massage it with his, in his hands, and it says like the channels or the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he, his, whatever he wills. So think about that. He's able and willing to live and be a part. And I think that's a life lesson for us as, you know, when we pray, God's going to move in those situations and so let's, let's don't uh, just kind of do it, obeying, but not really expecting. I'd like to go over to, now to 1 Kings 2. <clears throat> I think most of us have read and heard a good bit about David and about Solomon. And in, in chapter 2, I say verse 2, I think, chapter 2, verse 1 of uh, 1 Kings David is dying, and if you will, these are kind of his last words to his son, who he knows is going to take over. So let's look at that together. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon. You know, and, and I would say to you, that's, that's not, he's not requesting him to do this. He's saying he's commanding it. That word is, has attached to it a charge, a command. To Solomon his son. He says, I go the way of all the earth. And <laughs> Solomon's going to find out later he was going the same way. You and I are going to find out we're going the same way, right? We're, we're all, gonna, we came from dust and we're going to go back to dust as far as this body is concerned. And he said, be strong, therefore. In other words, I'm not going to be here, Solomon. Be strong and prove yourself a man. And so he's telling him, you know, emotionally you need to be strong. You're going to have a lot of decisions to make. You're going to have a lot of wisdom that you're going to need in order to run this many people. And he's saying, you know, physically you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to, have to rise up and prove yourself a man. And then he goes on in verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill the word which he spoke concerning me. I find that phrase to be real interesting. He's saying that the, the promises God made depend on not only him, but who else? What's the life lesson there? Let's look at it again. Look what he's saying. 
and you know, keep, keep the charge of the Lord, all in verse 3, and then verse 4, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me. So here he's saying, you have a responsibility. You know, God's made promises, but you have a responsibility in that. And that, you know, that, that's kind of our uh, life lesson. It's that, that truth is there, but it's also true today for you and I. And, and the promises God has given us, we have responsibility to, to work through those and, and to follow that. And so, and then he says, if your son, and this is the promise he made to David, if your sons take heed to their ways to walk before me in truth <laughs> with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, they shall not lack a, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to use your family to be the king of Israel forever if your sons will follow wholeheartedly all their soul what, I, what I'm giving them to do. So now think about that. That's the promise. And God's made promises to us and, and yeah, and like I say, it's, it's still true that if, if the word of God's going to be fulfilled, we have some responsibility in that. And, and we need to take care of that responsibility. And I want to I skip over then to, and, and I'll do a lot of skipping tonight, one to chapter 3, verse 3. This is where Solomon was. Solomon loved the Lord. And he was walking in the statutes of his father, David. There's a, as, as I read that, I'm, I'm thinking, why is that in there? I, I would rather him be walking in the statutes of what? Of the Lord, right? But he did, he's, he's following the statutes of his father, David. And you and I have responsibility to make sure our sons and daughters have the statutes of God. And so, I don't know if there's any more meaning in that than that, but that's, that, you know, I wondered about that. Walking in the statutes of your father, David. So he did the things that David had given him to do, and David had talked to him about, and he's doing this for the Lord, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high place. Now, you know, as I, as I looked at that, I'm wondering... Why is that in there? Why, why is it that, that he's still burning incense, and why is it he's sacrificing at a high place? Now, as I went, you know, as you go back, it appears it was actually, you remember Samuel? He's a pretty straight guy. Remember when, when Samuel uh, was the uh, priest, and as, as I went back there and, uh, and, and looked at that, Samuel was also going to the high priest. Now, it's been about 400-some years since they've come over from Egypt. And all that time, all they've had, for, if you will, for a dwelling place for God is what? Basically a tent. And at this point, well, we'll look at it in a minute, but the, 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 the high place is, is really a pagan situation. And that is that the pagans felt if they could get higher up on the hill, higher up on the mountain, they'd be closer to God, have more chance of God hearing them 
and also more chance that he would accept their sacrifices. How's that work? <laughs> and so, are we starting to mix <laughs> the holy and the unholy? And, and, and I'm fearful you know, that, that that's the message he's, that God's trying to give us, and yet at the same time, you know, I, I wonder, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's been accepted for a while, and I want to come back to that uh, a little bit later. So you can go clear back to Judges, where, where it talks in, in 1 Samuel, and, and that's where this practice was picked up. Basically, all of the high places in the land that God gave them were already occupied by who? Baal worshippers. Baal worshipped where? On those high places. Remember, remember the challenge that, you know, where uh, Ezekiel was challenged to, uh, you know, with the Baal worship, and, and it was up on that mountain. And it's all, you know, they're the ones that had the high places. So, as I look at that, we're going to see that come more and more to life as we go through here. And as I was reading it that first time I th uh, this year, I thought, wow, you know, I did, you know, somehow or other, I, that exception I didn't have. So when, when Solomon became king, there was no temple. And they worshipped in these high places. And at, at that high place where uh, he's going to go up to here, uh, let, let's read verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. As I understand from my reading, it's about six miles from Jerusalem. So if you will, it's up the road. And one of the most uh, valuable things that's there is there's an altar at that, there. And as it says... That was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. I can't even imagine a thousand burnt offerings. You know, I've, I've been in situations where I've seen like one lamb and have to burn it because of, you know, a diet or something like that and the smell, and there was a thousand. And, and, and they're worshiping God there. And they're worshiping God in that particular place. And at that point, there was one other important article that needed to be a part of their worship, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Where was that? It wasn't there. I found out it's in Jerusalem. All right, so you think about that. Whether God was displeased or not, and I think probably so. And the high place worship seems to have been in somewhat of approval. And like I say, if you go back to Samuel, where Samuel was um, going up to the high place to worship, and Saul had been appointed uh, uh, king, and they told Saul, Go find this man of God. And they went up and uh, worshiped together. And so it, it was accepted at that, that time. Now, as we start in chapter 3, I think we see a journey that, to me, was just fascinating as I watched Solomon and, and what, he, what he did. I, I want to go down to verse 5, which we're already in that area. 
and at Gibeon, the Lord. So he's going up there. He's offered a thousand sacrifices. And the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I may give you. And, and, and we've you know, heard and studied about that. And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in and, and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued the great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. And Solomon understood what made David successful. And I think it's important for us as parents and, and as people of God, for those around us, our kids, to understand what, what is it that's important? What is it that, that makes us successful? And, and, and if you will, Solomon understood that. Now, the difficulty is, as I mentioned earlier, David is who he's fallen to some degree now, but God wants us to be, have a personal Savior, doesn't he? He wants to talk to each of us. He wants to work with each of us. That's, that's the transition that we're in at this time Right here. In verse 7. Now, O God, my, my, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. He said, I realize my father's not here. And then what's he say? My version says I'm a little child. I think if you really look at that, what he's saying is, uh, you know, he, he's not a three-year-old. I wish I could tell you how old he was and I could not determine that. I know he, he, he reigned for 40 years, but he has some age on him at this point. And so it's, it's not that he's a child, but he has no experience. You know, he's watched dad and he's seen what dad did, but he has no experience. Can you relate to that time in your life where all of a sudden you realized this was on me? It's not dad anymore. It's not mom anymore. It's me. And, and that's, that's what Solomon is sensing here. That's what he's feeling here. And, and as, we, you know, as we look at that, that it, it's important that we, we see that God saw that also. But one of the things that you really have to like about that is he said, but I'm a little, I am a little child, and I do not know how to go out or to come in. I don't, I don't know how you run a government. You ever been in a situation where you had no idea what to do? It's a humbling place, isn't it? But it's a pretty secure place if you know who knows how to run it. And, and so here, here's God speaking to him and him accepting that. And, and then he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or, or counted. He said, I'm in the midst of this. I don't know how to, I'm inexperienced. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. You know, and, and they're your people. I want to follow what you give me to do. And all of a sudden, the responsibility is shifting from dad into him, and he understands that. And, and so as, as, you, as you look at that, it's an important time in, in his life, and, and he accepts that responsibility. Let, let's read on. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart, to judge your people, 
that I might discern between the good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So he saw dad doing this judging, you know, where people would come to him with, and, and there was a judgment needed, and his dad was following through with that. And he, and he saw the need that that's, that's where he really felt he, he needed to have an understanding or a hearing heart to know what God wanted him to do. This speech pleased the Lord, and that Solomon asked this thing, and God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, you have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. So what he has, he realized wasn't his, but God gave it to him. So that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone arise after you. I've heard some people say, that guy's as smart as Solomon. No, he's not. It says there never was anybody before. There's not anybody since then. And so we have, if you will, the smartest person in the world. And then in verse 13, in verse 13 I've also given you what you've not asked, riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. You're going to be top dog, king. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what's happened in that man's heart, in Solomon's heart. I know that, you know, before, as he was speaking to the Lord, he was pretty humble. But God says, I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you honor, I'm going to give you riches. So, verse 14, so if you walk, and there's that word again. So, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And then we're back to that personal God, if you will, that, that he's promised him to be. So here we have a young man, young and experienced, with God's backing, starting out not knowing what to do, but trusting God. And I want to go to chapter 4, verse 20. Only to point out a little bit about what God had done. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude. Now, that's a promise fulfilled, right? What did he say to Abraham? And there it is, written in the Word. And they were eating and drinking and rejoicing. You can read into that all you need, okay? So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute, served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour. That's each one, that's 150 bushel of flour a day. That's a whole bunch of noodles. You think about it. Every day. Every day. And 60 cores, or if you will, you know, twice as much meal. 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep besides deer and gazelles and roebucks and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on the side of the river. So here's a fella that isn't sure at all what to do. 
And all of a sudden, he has all this responsibility. All these things are coming his way, and God's prospering him as he said he would. Verse 27, and, these, and the governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon for all those who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. And it tells the things that they bought. And verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and exceeding great understanding, large men of heart, like the sand of the seashore. And as, as you see what he's done, God's fulfilled his promise, and he's doing what he said he was going to do. I want to go over then to verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And we've, we've had messages on, on the temple and, and all that. I just want to point out a few things about it. The details of how it was built, and if you haven't read that lately, you know, it's it just mind-boggling to me, the things that they did. And, and everything was done over and beyond anything anyone had ever had up to that point. They're living in a desert, and they've got all this gold that people are bringing in. One place, I think it, it talks that gold and silver in the time of Solomon was as plentiful as a stone. Remember the wilderness videos that we saw? Remember all the stone? Gold and silver was that plentiful. Amazing. And, and so, it, as you, you know, you can read down through the building at Temple. I, I want to go clear to the last verse, 38. And in the 11th year, now, if I'd have taken you through all that, you'd found out, well, I think it's in 37. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So the fourth year after he became king, they laid the foundation. In the 11th year, they completed it. Seven years to build the temple. And that's pretty amazing in itself. But, but what's even um, troubling to me, I guess, is look at verse one of chapter seven. And Solomon, how, how long to build the temple? Seven years. How long to build his house? Thirteen. Now, some people, you know, I can think of a situation. We had a boy's home. We, we had some boys that I, I would trust with $100, and I had some I wouldn't trust with a penny, okay? And, and I'm not sure, you know. I think this is in here for, for, I know it's in here for our teaching, but why was it that he had all that money? Because eventually, now, this is after, if you will, after he got the temple built and, and all this money's put in his house. And, and if you read about his house, it, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. And that's chapter 7, if you want to see all the things that are there. And I think, to me, the life lesson there is we've got to watch our priorities, don't we? And the thing that I thought originally I might talk about tonight would, would be those priorities and how we do that, but um, that probably is going to happen at a later time, if there is a later time. And I would, I would just say to us, watch your priorities. What we spend our time, what we spend our effort on, define what our priorities are, don't they? And so if you're not sure what they are, <laughs> as I heard Bruce say one time, go to your checkbook, 
You'll figure it out. I want to go to chapter 8. 22. Got the temple all built. Pretty exciting time. I can just imagine the people coming to see what's there. All those kind of things. And in, in, in that time, then, there was a dedication. That's where we start in verse 22 of chapter 8. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands toward heaven. Can you see it? You visualize it? And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you. You keep your covenant and mercy with your servants and you walk, who walk before you with all their hearts. And that's a pretty fascinating statement and one we want to remember as, as we move on through Solomon, his life, and, and, and what he's doing. And so, you know, as you look at that, he just built God a house. And, and I, want, I want to go through a, a couple things for you here. In verse 23, he, he talks about God in heaven above all the earth and, and how... You know, he, God is not, if you will, in this house only, but he's in all the earth, above everything. And then verse 30, in the very last statement, he says, I want God, I'm talking to you here in this house, but I want you to hear from heaven. He's acknowledging where God is. Verse, verse 32, what's it say? Then here in heaven. And, and here he spent all this time building the house, knowing that it didn't contain God, but at the same time, God's presence could be there. 34, what's it say? Here in heaven. 36, what's it say? Here in heaven. 39, what's it say? Here in heaven. 43, 45, 49. I think Solomon's got the point that God's not going to be confined to this building. And, and, and you know, I think for us, we need to realize that it, this is holy, and this is a holy place that God's allowed us to build, but at the same time, he's not confined here, and he'll go with us. Now, just keep your finger there. Let's go to Second Chronicles, because if we could read through Second Chronicles, and I'd like to go to chapter uh, 6, verse 18. Um, this dedication is also being recorded there. Verse, verse 18. But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? In other words, will he stay in his house? Behold, heaven... Uh, the, as you look at First Kings, there's somebody who's recorded that prayer there. And just like if Bruce and I were at a at some place and we're recording what's being said, will we put down exactly the same words? Not really, but we'll, it'll probably have the right meaning. That's what's happening here. It's another person recording this. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Question. Behold heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I've built. And so he's saying, you know, <laughs> you're a massive God. And it's, I think, you know, as you, as you look at that, 
it's important for us to keep that in mind. I want to go to verse 54 because he gets done dedicating the temple and then he blesses the assembly. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all his prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands raised up to heaven. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of his good promise which he promised to his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us. Do you get the sense that he's taking on that responsibility? He's not looking to his dad anymore. He's taking on that responsibility, realizing, you know, what, you know, what is there. But as you read through that, I think, I trust you also are seeing that, you know, God, it's important to him that God receive the glory for what's happening here. And again, we want to get back to that in just a, a moment. So that's the life lesson to me. You know, we may be a part of the accomplishment, but God may use our hands, but he did it, right? We need to realize who's doing it and, and who should receive the glory. So we got, he's got his kingdom. It's all set up. He's got his house. He's got it, you know, all the wisdoms being spread abroad. You know, Fox News is there and a whole bit in the... So they're, they're having a, a heyday, listen to every word he's saying, and um, run around and back and forth. And um, then, verse 1 of chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. I don't know whether she's trying to outdo him or what, but she's coming with all that. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom, the house that he built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and the entryway to which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, she knew that what she was seeing was real. Then she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, the half of it was not told. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of all I heard. And it goes on. And then verse 9. This is her speaking. Blessed, blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you. So she sees all of that. And who is she giving glory to? To God. What, what a, a, a test for us. When, when God ha puts us in a place where we're able to to accomplish something, if we're not careful, who gets the glory? We do, don't we? And, and she went, saw all that happened, and verse 9, Blessed be the Lord our God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. 
And she gave him all more money so he would be able to have more and more and more. <laughs> and, you know, as, as I see that, that, you know, the life lesson to me is don't take the glory. It's, it's got to be God's. Then, up to this point, God has exalted him. He's given him all the promise he'd give him. And then we go to chapter 11. And I know you've heard this before, but King Solomon loved the words many, foreign women. And if you remember back the verse 1 of chapter 3, and I don't think we read that, he, he, he made a covenant, made a, 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 a pact with Pharaoh of Egypt, and the first foreign wife he had was his daughter. Okay, so it started back there with one. Okay, as, now here he's talking about as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Sinonites, Hittites, from the nations from, of whom God had said to the children of Israel, what? You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn you away, away your heart after the gods. And so, I don't know if anybody spoke that to him. If they did, he clung to these, how? In love. I don't know. How, how many were there? Well, <laughs> verse 3, and he had 700 wives. Try that on for size. 700 wives, and he clung to them in love. And if that wasn't enough, 300 concubines. But the most important part of that whole verse is what? Next. His wives turned away his heart. So here is a man that God has blessed beyond anyone before or after. And he disobeyed the word of God. And his wives turned away his heart. And so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. <laughs> What's the life lesson? It's not over till it's over. You know, we need, we need to guard our heart, don't we? And, and here's someone who gives much glory to God in the beginning. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord your God, as was the heart of his father David. So Solomon went after, here we go, all of these gods that were in those other countries. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Now, it doesn't say that he wasn't following the Lord. It says what? He didn't fully follow the Lord. And, and boy, I'm seeing more and more of that happen in our time. People just pick what they want and don't follow the Lord wholly. And then it says, that then Solomon built a high place. <laughs> Here we go. And he's building a high place for these gods. 
And in case you aren't aware, Moloch was the one that had a huge big mouth with a big fire burning inside where they took their newborn babies and put them down in there, sacrificed them to him. We in America have a lot more sensible way of doing it, right? We go to a doctor's office. But anyway. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed their gods. So the Lord became angry. I'll bet he did. Because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing and he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to him, third time he's coming. Now we can watch the progression of what he's done in this time. This third time the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant my statutes which I have commanded you I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant nevertheless I will not do it in your days not for you <laughs> but for the sake of your father David I will tear it out of your hand out of the hand of your son however I will not tear it away from the whole kingdom I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of your servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have which I have chosen. Now, <clears throat> let's go to Ecclesiastes. It depends on who you talk to and, and what you read, but as far as I can tell, a lot of Ecclesiastes was evidently written by him. And if, if you'd follow through there, which we, I'm not going to take the time to do tonight, you'd, you'd see that as you go through Ecclesiastes, you see that spiral he's in going down. And I want to start... In chapter 2, verse 10. And I, I don't know. <laughs> Where do you start? Maybe I better start at 1. Verse 1 says, what's it start with? I said. Who's talking? Solomon. I said in my heart. All right. Verse 2. I said of laughter. Verse 3, I searched. 4, I made. I built and planted. 5, I made. I planted. 6, I made. 7, I acquired. I have great possessions. 8, I have gathered. Verse 9, I became great. This was the guy who was a child. And now he's the greatest thing on earth, right? In his own eyes. God help us. Verse 10 tells of that downfall. He said, whatever my eyes desired, what? I didn't keep from him. I guess not. You know, he had 700 wives. I did not withhold my heart. Next, you know, in my labor... This was my reward, my hands, my labor. And, and if you read all down through that, you'll see that he's taken the glory of God and given it to who? Himself. You know, what a tragedy that we have the greatest person. And maybe we need that so that our hope is not in some great person, but in God.
And, and so as we follow down through there, I want to go to verse 20 of chapter 3. Let me just pick out some things. All go in one place. All from the dust. All are from dust. And all return to dust. Now he's starting to feel despondent. He'd done everything he wanted to do. He didn't do it the right way. And now he's saying the righteous and the wicked, they all go to the same place. Chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Or if you will, he who loves the money market won't be satisfied with the money market. Or anything else. I think it was Rockefeller they quoted. He said, you got another million today. How many more you need? He said, just one more. One more. One more. You'll never be satisfied. 8.15. So I commended enjoyment because a man had, has nothing better under the sun. So after all this, this, this is his... <laughs> This is his foundation. Nothing better under the sun than to what? Eat, drink, and be merry. Lord, help us. 12. Let's go to 12. I don't know where he is in 12 age-wise, but I think he's nearing that part where he's realizing that <laughs> this body's going back to dust. And he says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth because it, or before the difficult days come. And to him, those difficult days were he had wisdom to know what to do in dividing that baby, but he also didn't have enough wisdom to know how to handle his own life. Verse 6, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. Now, commentaries say that the silver cord refers to the fact that he's going to die and his silver hair. Verse 7, and the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. I wonder how he feels about that. And, and the best we can tell that next part was something that was added at a different time. And if, as, as you read through this, uh, you know, even the way it's written in, in my Bible makes it look like somebody else wrote it. And, and verse 9 says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words that were written, that, that was written, was upright, words of truth. So, if you will, don't do as I do, do as I'm saying, right? And the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by this, of making many books there is no end. And he was someone who gathered and wrote and gathered these things and he says, and much study is worrisome to the flesh. So, what's the conclusion? He said, so let us hear the conclusion of the matter. So, there's a question about whether Solomon returned to the Lord. You know, 
We'll know one of these days. But it, here it says, this is the conclusion. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. So that's the conclusion of it all. And as, as you think of that, um, what's, what is the life lesson in, in all of that? As you, as you look at his downward spiral, and, and to me it has to, it has to come around priorities. You know, his, his quest and his gathering thing showed clearly what his priorities should be, and, and hopefully he was the one that caused this at the end where he said, this is, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. Doesn't say anything about possessions, all before he has. Doesn't say anything about works. Doesn't say anything about accomplishments. So, our satisfaction needs to be not in the things of life, but in loving God. Easy to say, hard to live sometimes. Because there's a lot of things in this world that <laughs> Solomon, he said, Everything his eyes desired, he got. I can't say I've ever got that far. But there have been times that I desired something and got them and, and later found out um, that was nothing. <laughs> it was useless. So let's all stand. I'm, I'm sure that we've all thought about Solomon and his life before. And... Uh, to me, uh, the critical thing is that we, we learn from what he went through. So, uh, if you will, let's pray. Father, you've said in your word that all this is there for us to learn from. And Father, I pray that somehow, before we get to the point where Solomon, the wisest and the richest man that ever lived, was... Not that we'll ever be there, but before we get to that point where the glory was all his and not yours, I pray, Father, that you'll help us to see the futility. Help us to see our priorities. Help us to know the things that we need to do. And, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word, Lord. It's so plain. It, it's so easy in life to just go down that path gradually. It took him 40 years, Lord, to get from being a child to where he had everything. God help us to not make that same mistake. Let's take a little bit of time tonight and you, you know, as they play, the booth plays a song and, and uh, let's, let's ask God how, how are we doing priority-wise? And each of you know where you are. And I'm trusting God will show you if there's things that he feels are out of line and you need to deal with. Let's take a little bit of time.